August 8, 2021. Summer on the Mount. Week 5. The Battle for Your Heart. You know, often when I get up here, I, I, I love following worship, but after that, because I'm worshiping right with you and my heart's in it, then I've got to come up and share. <laughs> it just seems unfair right now. Um, thank you, guys. They're all gone. Okay, I guess I don't care. Oh, man, it is so good to be with you this morning and to worship and to be in the Lord's presence. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I need to be here this week. Have you ever had those weeks where you go through your week and some weeks you come to church and you just come, but some weeks you come and you really need to be here. Do you know what I mean? Those weeks when the world is raging around as you watch the news and all that's happening in our world and the weight just seems greater than it did last week, maybe something personal happening in your life and you get to this place and this space and this time and you just come before the Lord and say, God, I've got nothing left. And you just pour it all out. I hope that as you're here this morning that you're in this posture where you're just, you're just ready to receive whatever the Lord might have for you, whether it be through worship, through what I'm about to say, through just being with brothers and sisters in Christ. But as we're here this morning, my prayer has been that the Lord would touch each of your hearts, each of our hearts. I want the same thing. And I, I'm just gonna pray to that end right now. And then I'm going to jump in. So, Father, we thank you for this chance to be together this morning. And, God, I, I know as I look at the world and as I watch the news and try to stay off of social media as best I can, but as I look at the world, Lord, things, things look challenging. And I'm so glad that we have this time where we can come together as your body and be in your presence, worshiping, having this corporate time of worship where we bear our souls and our hearts before you. So, Father, I pray for the person whose week has been challenging. I pray that you would refresh that person and breathe new life and hope and energy into their spirits. Father, I pray that as we have this next little bit of time, that I would fade out of the picture and that your Holy Spirit would work in each and every one of our hearts. And that as a result of being here today, we would leave changed changed because we had an encounter with you, our Heavenly Father. So we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I want to give you a little insight into my life, my early years, if you will. When I you know, started playing sports way back when, my parents got me into soccer, probably at the age of five or six. I was one of those little tykes you see running around, kicking a ball, having no idea what was happening, but loving every second of it. Maybe you or your children have had that same experience, but I kept playing soccer, you know, throughout, all the way through high school. I wasn't good enough to go beyond high school, but all the way through high school, I just loved being on the soccer field. There was something about it, the competition, the camaraderie, all of it coming together, the, the drama, the stress, the rivalries that developed. And there was one rivalry in particular that, that as a high school student going to Orchard Park High School, at that point, our biggest rival, and this seems weird today, was Sweet Home. I hated Sweet Home. If you went to Sweet Home, I'm so sorry. There's an extra time of prayer for you after service right up. 
But we had this rivalry with Sweet Home, and it was that type of rivalry. When, when you played them, you, you, you tried a little bit harder. You played a little bit dirtier. You did all the things that you could do to win. And my junior year of high school was the year where this really all came together. You see, it, we played them twice every season, and we beat them both times one to nothing during the regular season. Hard-fought games, slide tackles all over, people getting hurt. It was awesome. And we won both of them one nothing. And I remember the second one was in our field at Orchard Park. And our, our star player, he was, they had a penalty, and he was, it was a penalty shot. We won one nothing because of a penalty shot. I remember the other coach screaming at our coach, Bill, you can't win on a PK. And our coach was like, sorry, your guy did it. I don't know what to tell you. So we beat, won that game. We went undefeated for the season. We only allowed eight goals all year. It was that type of year. We go through the playoffs and the section final comes around. It was a snowy evening. It was great. We were playing Sweet Home in the section final. We practiced our hearts out for that game. We knew it was going to be cold. We knew it was going to be sloppy, and we were so excited to rub their faces in it. I know it's a little dramatic. I'm sorry. The game goes on. It's a hard-fought game. It goes back and forth all through the game, and at the end, as the whistle blows, it's tied 4-4. The drama as we go into overtime against our biggest rival was so thick. The, and it was weird because it was a timed overtime. It wasn't sudden death. You'd think it's something like that, but they gave us, I don't remember how long, but it was a timed overtime. Our hearts were racing. Can you relate to that? Every touch of the ball matters. Every pass, every shot, every throw, every anything matters. We fought our hearts out. And at the end of overtime... Final score, Orchard Park four, Sweet Home six. It was awful. Losing to your biggest rival was the worst imaginable. Many of you have been there, but rivalry can be defined as competition for the same objective or superiority on the same field. We wanted to be superior, and we didn't quite grasp it. It slid through our fingers. You know, in my life, sometimes when there's a rivalry, I root for the stronger team, like our football team. But often, also, if there's an underdog, I choose the underdog because the drama and all this wound up in that. It's incredible. And actually, you know, there's many rivalries that we look at for entertainment. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know all too well the rivalry between the Jedi and the Sith, which the Jedi actually ended up winning. If you're a Marvel fan, you know that Thanos and the Avengers had this rivalry. And in both of those, good prevailed over evil. In sports, maybe you're a Yankees fan or maybe you're a Red Sox fan. They really don't like each other that much. And I do fall on one side of that. I'm not going to tell you which one. If you're a hockey fan, when the USA plays Russia back in the Olympics, when it was really good in 80, or in, as we play Canada, there's this huge rivalry. When I was growing up, it was Bill's Dolphins. We lost to them 20 straight times. Over, it was unbelievable. But that, excuse me, but then we won. And today, obviously, it's the Bills versus the Pats. And I think we're going to end up starting to win that rivalry. 
We look at rivalries as entertainment. We fully embrace them and jump into the middle of them. And today, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to identify three rivalries or battles that you are currently engaged in that you might not even be aware of. Three, three opportunities or three battles that are going on warring for your heart and your allegiance and your answer matters. Your answer matters because the fight is raging on and you need to be aware of what's happening. The impact of these rivalries could change the course and the satisfaction of your life. And we're gonna pick up in the Sermon of the Mount right where we left off last week. Last week, we left off in six, um, chapter six, verse 18, and we're gonna pick up in verse 19. So if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever you do to read and you'd like to follow along, please do. We're gonna be in Matthew six, starting in verse 19, or it'll be up behind me on the screens too. So verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oftentimes when we read these verses, we think that treasure is purely talking about our financial resources, the things we own, our, our bank accounts, or other things like that. But I think it's talking about so much more than material things or money. Something that is of far greater worth that all of us possess. And some of us possess more of it than others. And you'll see what I mean in a moment. But we all have a commodity right at our fingertips that's more valuable than any material thing you can imagine. Pastor Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, puts it this way. Time is your most precious gift because you only have a set amount of it. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. When you give someone your time, you are giving them a portion of your life that you'll never get back. Your time is your life. That is why the greatest gift you can give somebody is your time. You ever thought about that before? We all have a finite number of years. At some point, those years will come to an end. So how you invest that time and who you invest that time in matters. Jesus was here and he had his disciples with him for roughly three years. They ate together, they laughed together, they cried together. They saw Jesus do the unthinkable as he performed miracles and cast out demons. They saw everything that Jesus did for that period of time. Jesus didn't have financial resources to give his disciples he didn't have a bank account. He didn't have the material possessions. He had none of that. But what he had, he gave freely and he invested heavily. He gave them the greatest gift he could, his time. Morning, noon, night, day after day, year after year for those three years, he invested in his disciples giving them something of incredible, of imparable, incomprehensible worth. I like John Stott's broadening definition of what it means to store up treasures in heaven. He wrote, to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. To store up true treasure in heaven, anything you do 
that's effects impact eternity. As your relationship with the Lord increases and your faith increases and your hope increases and your love increases, you are actually investing in eternity. As you love somebody, as you care for somebody in need, as you invest your time, you are actually investing in eternity, in the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought of it that way? Many of you here have excelled in this over years. You've given your financial resources, but even greater than that, you've invested your time. You've invested in our children, in children's ministry or student ministry. You've invested in mops or women's ministry. You've invested being an usher or greeter or playing an instrument. You've invested your time so that others can know about Jesus, and your reward will be incredible someday. Because of that investment, people know Jesus better, and the reward might be obvious. As a church, we want to be an undeniable force of God's hope, healing, and grace, impacting generations to come. How do we get there? We get there when you and I invest in the lives of other people. We get there when we understand that our time is our most precious commodity and there's somebody who could really use the investment of our lives into theirs and we pour into them over and over again. The battle that you are engaged in, as described in this passage, is earthly treasure, the battle for earthly treasure versus heavenly treasure. Because you can invest in earthly treasure, you can make yourself the priority, you can do everything so that you benefit and you get your reward immediately. But as you invest your time in the lives of others, as you pick your head up and see who else can benefit from your time, there's heavenly treasure that goes along with that. The true measure of a life is not by the riches we accumulate here on earth. The true measure of a life that has followed Jesus and been committed to Jesus and his ways in the world is a life that is marked by a tombstone and what is written on it. When it's all said and done, what are people going to remember you for? What are they going to think about when they think of your name and the legacy you left in the world and the things you did in their lives? I want people to remember me for the time I invested in who they are. I want people to remember me for the investment I made of a commodity I could never get back. I want people to remember me because I love them well. And as I do that, as we do that as a church, we're not building up earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure. Jesus goes on in the sermon. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I really think what Jesus is talking about here is our desire for material gain. If we spend our whole pursuit trying to get more and more and more for us, when people truly look into your eyes, what are they going to see? 
Jesus would suggest, they're going to see darkness because your life is all about you. But in, in contrast to that, I think what's happening here is I've looked at it and studied it. When you, your purpose of your life is to serve and glorify God, to love on others, to be invested in the lives of other people, when people look in your eyes, they're going to see light. They're going to see love. They're going to see hope. They're going to see into your heart and how well you love other people. My wife and I have a friend who for years, this friend invested in shopping. I think you could say she was a professional shopper. She would go online or when malls were more the thing, she would be in the malls all the time, shopping and buying, trying to put outfits together, trying to just get the latest, greatest, keep up with the Joneses type of mentality. You know what happened? The more she did that, the darker her eyes got because she was chasing something she would never achieve. She was striving for something, a goal, a a, a vision that she would never obtain. And her eyes were dark. In fact, this individual gave my, my wife and I a very difficult time for tithing and said, what are you nuts? Why do you tithe to your church? Why do you give 10% of all you make to the church? That's ridiculous. That's what she would say to us. When you can spend it on yourself. She had darkness in her eyes. I'm so glad that's not the end of the story. A few years ago, she got engaged in a church near where she lives. She had an encounter with Jesus that forever changed her life. She began to understand the things that we talk about here regularly, how how Jesus can make a difference in your life and how it's better to invest in the lives of others than to have for yourself. As she started to walk down that path and understand there was a different way, something remarkable happened. She called on Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as she did, there was this light in her eyes. The darkness was fading, and this light was coming forth. She serves in her church all the time right now. I've actually had to tell this person, I've had to tell her to slow down a little bit. I'm not saying that to you guys, but for her, that was her story. She had to slow down a little bit because she was burning herself. She was serving so much, but she couldn't get enough because she understood the impact she was having on the lives of others. She actually said to Holly and I a little bit ago, I used to give you guys a hard time for tithing. She actually said, I thought you were ridiculous. But she said, now I get it. Now I understand Now I understand the joy of giving back to the Lord and his work in the world. There's a battle that's going on in you right now, a battle over light versus darkness. Light versus darkness. When you invest in yourself constantly and you try to get more and accumulate more and get more stuff, there will be darkness. But when you pull back, and you start giving away what you have, when you start pursuing God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, when you start understanding that it's better to give than to receive, and I know that sounds cliche, but it's so true. 
When you begin to understand that, there's light that forms in your eyes. Jesus said, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? When our goal is material gain, when we focus on our wants and desires and our needs and constantly about me, 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 you'll live in darkness. And people will see it. You're engaged in this battle. The two rivalries we've seen so far are earthly treasure versus heavenly treasure and the battle versus light versus darkness. And now for the obvious conclusion, if you've read ahead, you know already, or if you've read this over time, this one can be the most chilling. The third one that Jesus lays out. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And here's the line. You cannot serve both God and money. There's no gray. There's no middle ground. You can't serve both God and money. It's impossible. They're rivals You cannot be devoted purely to God if you're devoted to seeing your bank account increase and that's your greatest priority. Because as you seek that out, as you seek that, you sort of leave God off to the side because you're about your material gain, what you can have and what that looks like. As followers of Jesus, we have to make sure that we are not overcome by the quest for more by the desire to have more and more and pile up our assets in a bank account somewhere and never realize that it can serve a greater good. It's easy to forget that the preacher of this sermon was penniless. He didn't have anything. And yet, he remained faithful to you and me and his devotion to us was unparalleled to to even drove him to death on a cross. He practiced what he preached. Jesus did not serve both God and money. We have a problem in our world right now and this one is really hard to hear and maybe even understand. God has entrusted us with all we have. Let that sink in. Everything you have, God has given to you. Everything. So with that being true, why then, why then do we praise the gift above the giver? If God has given us everything we have, why do we praise what he's given us over God himself? I know a lot of people who do that. They lose sight of the the one who provided everything. They lose sight of the gift that God has given them and how we're to be good stewards of the resources he's allowed us to have. And we praise material things above the giver. The bottom line is simple. Either Jesus is Lord or money is Lord. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When God grants us financial resources, we can use them for his glory and then they are a blessing. When when you have financial resources, whether it be $5 or a million dollars and you use it for his glory, that can be a blessing. But whether you have $5 or a million dollars and your primary outlook is how you can get more, there's a great price for those riches. The rivalry between God and money could destroy you. God is not looking for something from you He is looking for something for you in all of these verses. In this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is offering you freedom. Do you see it? As you store up uh, heavenly treasure as opposed to earthly treasure, you become freer. As you value light over darkness and helping other people as opposed to taking more for yourself, you begin to experience freedom. As you put God in his proper place and money in its proper place, you begin to experience freedom. And all of those material desires and all that maybe has entangled and been woven into your life falls by the side because as you pursue earth, uh, heavenly treasure, light, and God, you become free from the grasp of materialism, of wanting more. The battle for your heart is raging on and you have to decide to choose to store up heavenly treasure or earthly treasure, to have your eyes full of light or full of darkness, and if you're going to choose God over money. The battle, listen to this, the battle for your heart and your attention is real, and you're engaged in it every day. How you answer these questions and what what you're devoted to matters. hope, my prayer has been today that today is a step forward towards your freedom. Where maybe today you'll begin to invest time in others. Instead of trying to gather earthly treasure, you'll invest in heavenly treasure by investing well in the lives of others. Maybe you'll volunteer in our children's ministry. Do you know why children's ministry isn't open yet at this hour? We don't have enough volunteers. After COVID, it's been a little harder to get people to come back. Maybe the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I want to invest in the lives of kids. I want to be engaged in that ministry so that they can learn about Jesus and then their families can learn about Jesus. I'm so thankful so many of you have invested in children over the years or in students. There's a need in both areas for you to invest your time. Maybe some of you need to break the back of money, the power of money, by giving it away. When you start to give it away, you find this freedom that if you hold on to it, you never quite achieve. But as you give away, invest in ministry, invest in in things that are of the Lord, all of a sudden you begin to find freedom. 
maybe you want to start giving regularly to here as a church, to the church. As Pastor Steve mentioned, the giving boxes or giving online or, or mailing a check-in, maybe that's a foreign concept to you. Maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? I'm going to start investing my resources in a way that transforms the lives of people. And it's so much more than what I hold on to myself, but it's an opportunity for me to let go and break the power of money in your life. Maybe it's time for you to say, God, as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount and all of these things, all of these concepts are foreign to me, maybe this series has been an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. Because as you've heard these things, they just make sense to you. If Jesus is really t- teaching about freedom, and not that he wants your money, but he wants to break the power of money in your life, You've never understood that he's a God who loves you that much to offer freedom, even in this area. Maybe through this series, you'll say, Jesus, I want to follow you with all of who I am. Whatever the answer is for you, I hope that today's an opportunity for you to engage and understand that these battles are raging on and for you to choose differently, to choose light, to choose God, to choose heavenly treasure. I dare you to try it. Because as you do, you will find freedom for your soul. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the sermon you preached so many years ago, Jesus. And as we've been going it, going through it section by section, how you've opened our eyes and our hearts to new realities of how to live in this world as your followers how we should view our resources, how we should view our time, how we should view the difference we can make in another's life. Father, I pray that this church would be known, we'd be known in the community and beyond as a church who invests well, invests our time well, invests our resources well, invests our very lives into what you're doing in the world. And as we do, we'll find freedom. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. So God, I pray that you'd be working in all of our hearts. And like I prayed at the beginning, Holy Spirit, drill these thoughts deep down into each and every one of us and change our views, change our perspectives and the way we act and live. And I pray in Jesus' name.